us. I'm Liz Brailsford, President and CEO of the World Affairs Council here in Dallas-Fort Worth. It is such a pleasure to see all of you here tonight. I think it's going to be a fascinating and wonderful program. We're in for a treat. Welcome to the 2021 Michael Rawlings Endowed Lecture, the first hosted in person as last year's, as you may remember, was held via Zoom. So here we are for you tonight in person. We are thrilled to welcome the 60th Atlanta Mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms. I'd like to start by thanking our founder, founding donors to this lecture series, the Billingsley Company, Lucy Billingsley. Thank you so much. Henry can't be with us tonight, but thank you. The Beck Group, Crow Holdings, Hall Group, Tim Headington and Headington Companies, KDC Real Estate Development, and Laura and Jack Matthews. Also, additional supporters of this lecture include Doug Chestnut, Jill and Michael Dardick, Frank Mikolopoulos, Herb Weitzman, and Abigail and Todd Williams. And additional support is provided by Cher and Dave Jacobs. David Jacobs, thank you very much. Thank you. So, uh, we are delighted to see some Dallas elected and city officials here tonight. If some of you showed up, could you please stand and let us recognize you? Yeah. Hi, 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 thank you. Thank you very much for being here and representing our wonderful city. If you're not a member of the World Affairs Council yet, I would like that to change. We need you. Please join us. I want to see you at more in-person events, and it is the holiday season. I can't think of a better holiday gift. Can you? So the council is committed to providing a safe environment for our community members, and you can see all of our up-to-date safety and health information by going to our website at DFW World. We are starting to announce our 2022 event uh, lineup now, so go check it out on our website. And now it is my pleasure to welcome our moderator and namesake of this lecture, Michael Rawlings. Mike served as mayor of Dallas from 2011 to 2019, overseeing unprecedented growth in the city through his Grow South initiative, serving Dallas's longest mayoral term since 1961. Mike also sat as a committee, committee member for the U.S. Conference of Mayors and on the DFW Airport Board of Directors. Previously, he worked as president of Pizza Hut and as CEO of the largest marketing communications agency in the Southwest, Tracy Locke. Now, the vice chairman of CIC Partners, Mike was awarded the council's 2019 H. Neil Mallon Award Dinner, where I met many of you there, thank you. And this endowed lecture was announced to his surprise that evening. So now I am going to invite him up here and we are going to start this evening. Thank you very much again. Well, good evening, and uh, it's, 
it's good to be back to see some of you guys. Uh, not only has it been COVID, but I haven't done mayor stuff for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's great to see you. I, I want to thank, from the bottom of my heart, the World Affairs Council and uh, all those individuals that, uh, Lucy, thanks, I know you led it a lot of that to make this uh, event happen. Hopefully it's not just honoring me, but it's making Dallas and Dallas-Fort Worth better by uh, uh, learning and expanding our minds and understanding where we are in this world that we live in. And I think that's the mission of, uh, of the council. Um, last year was kind of weird doing a, a Zoom event, but uh, I had a Rahm Emanuel uh, uh, join us, and it was fun because uh, Rahm had stepped down as being uh, uh, mayor. He had uh, just kind of written a book, so he was uh, selling that, and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen in the presidential election, so we, we discussed that. As I looked forward, I said, we got to beat that, and uh, uh, we've got to have somebody that has, uh, has been in the action much like uh, Ram was in the, in the action in Chicago. Uh, I'm not trying to do this every year with mayors, but it seems like, as, as, as Keisha knows, mayors are right there in, in the middle of things that are taking place. So I'm so pleased to have Mayor Bottoms here. She is the 60th uh, mayor of Dallas. Uh, uh, I was the 61st, so she's a little younger than me. Uh, elected in 2017. And she, unlike me, served in all three branches of her government. She's been a judge. She's been a city council person, like uh, folks here. And uh, she was mayor. She uh, was very active in the US Conference of Mayors, has been that way. And uh, she was the chair of the Community Development Housing Committee, which is very important on that, uh, in that conference. And she's uh, known doing several things, and this is one of the things I was proud of when I uh, read that you were the first uh, to establish an Office of Equity, Diver Diversity, and Inclusion. We did that in Dallas as well, so it was good. Born and raised in Atlanta, okay? Um, a daughter of a musician. Uh, she, uh, undergrad from, uh, are they the Rattlers? What are they? That's the right. The Florida A&M Rattlers, okay? <laughs> Law degree from Georgia State, married to a Home Depot executive, mother of four, top that, okay, no Mormons, uh, Mormons probably would, but uh, <laughs> besides that. She really came on the stage many times in the last few years, but she was a finalist uh, for uh, President Biden as he started to choose his running mate uh, she was the co-chair of the 2020 Democratic National Convention, leader in the, the committee itself. And in May, she surprised everybody. She'd been had it four great years, and she decided uh, that she was not going to return to a second term, something my wife wished I had done. And so she was brighter than me. And uh, in November this year, a new mayor of Atlanta was um, elected, Andre D Dinkins, uh, was elected, someone that she supported and endorsed. Um, so the, I'm, I'm very pleased to have uh, Mayor Bottoms here, and 
I'll tell you, I think she's got a lot to teach us. So with that, everybody, Mayor Bottoms. Thank you. All right, so hopefully you, you, you can see by the spirit, we are not gonna get Debbie Downer too much, but we wanna talk about serious issues. We wanna have some fun, and we wanna um, learn about this. I like Mayor Bottoms from the first time I met her, and I'll tell you why. She knew how to suck up to me. Um, <laughs> I got a call. I'm heading to Boston for our annual U.S. Conference of Mayors um, uh, event, and I got a call that Mayor Bottoms, newly elected mayor of Atlanta, wanted to meet with me. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. Love to. And so we had a cup of coffee, and, and we met. And I asked, I said, why do you want to meet with me? And she said, I want you to tell me what I should do. I want you to give me some advice. You're, you've been a mayor for a long time, and I think that you could help me. I was blown away, okay? <laughs> because politicians don't go to other people and say, I need to learn. And I said, this is a special woman, somebody that is interested in listening before they act. And then I, I kind of watched from the sidelines as I left and saw her active on, uh, uh, in the middle of uh, many, many uh, crises and how she uh, led her city. So I'm uh, very pleased to sit here and talk to you um, and, and learn from you. Uh, I may interrupt you if, if, you, if, if I, if I want to go deeper. I may, so I, I don't want to scare you. This is, it's your town, okay, so your okay. rules. <laughs> but look, I, people know me, I'm a competitive guy. And I always was so proud of Dallas and would tell everybody how Dallas was better than everybody from Fairbanks to Salt Lake City to New York City and especially Atlanta. Because <laughs> Atlanta had the Olympics, okay? You know, Atlanta, Atlanta was a big dog. I'm curious how, and so I, I pitched, and Sean Donahue's here uh, from uh, DFW, and we pitched it around the world. And I know my shtick about Dallas. Mm -hmm. What's your shtick about Atlanta? Why should people bring their businesses to Atlanta? Why should families move to Atlanta? Why are you better than us? Okay. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you all for coming out this evening. It's so good to see you again. And as I was preparing to come down today, I remembered the first trip that I took as mayor was a trip to Houston and Dallas. Uh, I went back to back. I can't remember which I went to first. So it is, I think, so appropriate that the last trip, at least that I know of, who knows what will happen. Yeah, January week, 2nd, right? January 4th. January 4th. This is my last planned trip. Doesn't mean I'm gonna, we'll have another one, but the... The last one on my calendar as of now is back to Dallas. So this is full circle. Yeah. Um, and Maynard Jackson, who was the first African-American mayor of Atlanta, long, one of the longest serving mayors of Atlanta, was born in Dallas. So I know that we had this kindred well, spirit going on. And I will tell you there. this, you don't know this, but Maynard Jackson was a real mentor to Ron Kirk who was the first yes. African-American mayor of Dallas. 
and Ron, most everybody knows, just loved Maynard. He just loved him. So. So, so why is Atlanta better than Dallas? Yeah. Exactly, I want to hear this. So we, we, we have this long storied history, but we pride ourselves on being the cradle of the civil rights movement. I don't think you can top that no, one. No. Um, also, it, it really is in our DNA, this diverse spirit and this ability to dream bigger than who we are. That's how Maynard Jackson and Ambassador Young were able to bring the Olympics to Atlanta. Maynard Jackson uh, envisioned expanding this airport. He believed that it could be the biggest and the best in the world, and it still is today. Most flights, right? Yes. You, I think it's 80% of the continental U.S. you can get to within an hour and a half from uh, Hartsville, Jackson. And they say, you know, all planes lead through Hartsville, Jackson. So. Um, but it's allowed us to be this transportation hub. Also, we have 30 Fortune 500 companies that are headquartered in the metro area, 10th largest economy in the U.S. And not to mention, until January 4th, we have a mayor named Keisha. So I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty that's good. That's pretty good. <laughs> that is pretty good. And, and better looking mayor than... Me or our current mayor, okay, even all for, for Eric, okay. Um, you know, people don't know, we lost Mercedes-Benz to you guys. Mercedes came. That. Yeah, we were down the finals with, uh, with Mercedes when they moved and they, they went to Atlanta. So, and, yeah. and they are in the metro area, yeah, so they, they are. aren't in the city of Atlanta, but they're right next door in Sandy Springs. So we yeah. get the benefit, like you all do, of being right. in this large metro area. Right. We get to claim it all. Right. So how do you feel Atlanta fits in the world around us? I mean, you know, it's a big globe and there's a lot of cool cities around. The, what the, did you find out that how people in Munich and Shanghai think about Atlanta? So there, there's this great slogan, um, Atlanta influences everything. And there's this very rich culture in our city, and there really is something for everyone in Atlanta. If you're into arts and culture, we have a world-class uh, theater and, and, and we have all of that to offer. Um, if you are into business, if you are a CEO of a corporation, we have that to offer. We are great for business, constantly uh, ranked amongst the top as being good for business, the state of Georgia. Um, and then if you are a student of history, I mentioned our civil rights history. Dallas Baptist University is a global Christ-centered institution whose students are making an impact in business, law, medicine, education, public service, and the list goes on. DBU is honored to sponsor the Global IQ podcast and to offer a significant scholarship for World Affairs Council members towards a master's in international studies. For further information about this scholarship or about DBU in general, email Lee Bratcher at leeb at dbu.edu. Then we also have the largest, uh, um, uh, uh, largest compilation of HBCUs in the country with more. Big difference in Dallas. Uh, I'll tell you, I found out it was like I was jealous of, of Dallas and Houston. We didn't have that, you know. We had 
Bishop College, which is now Paul Quinn, mm -hmm. uh, you, may, you may know, but we didn't have that rich heritage of HBCUs. And then you add Georgia State University yep. and you add Emory and Georgia Tech, so we are a big tech hub. More, a little more education than we have, yeah. So there, there now is Now you make this, me feel bad. Well, <laughs> there, there is a global appeal yeah. um, of Atlanta and it's something for everyone and of course, Ambassador Young envisioned us as being an international city. And if you say it enough, uh, then people begin to believe it. Yeah. Uh, and, and we have the Carter Center right there in the heart of Atlanta. And I can go on and on. Oh, and okay. City Council great. members take note. <laughs> of, uh, well, that's great. Uh, well, all right. So um, as, as you look at your time, I'm not whining, but I had Ebola. Mm. I had a, a shooting that killed five police officers during a Black Lives Matter protest. Mm. I had a month away from leaving, I had a young white female police officer walk in the apartment after she was off duty and shoot and kill one of the coolest young professionals from St. Lucia. And it was like, how much? And then I leave office and you and our current mayor have George Floyd and the protest, COVID, and in a presidential election that really ripped this country apart, Georgia goes for two uh, Senate seats and swings the, the, a lot of stuff has happened, okay? Uh, yeah. And you're in the middle of that. People are asking your opinions on this stuff, so let's dig into it a little bit. George Floyd um, was the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, a lot of this stuff had been happening. That's why we had protests in Dallas, a peaceful protest, by the way, and we, were, we had done good, but it just kind of, the, the, it kind of tipped things and things went a little uh, awry. You had to keep your city sane. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? What was your message about civil rights, about police, about supporting public safety, about budgets, defund the police? I mean, there was all this crazy stuff coming. How did you... How do you try to simplify that and communicate that to your citizens? You just take it one moment at a time. And when you and I met in Boston, mm -hmm. I said to you, every new mayor is a, a new mayor. And once I uh, accepted that, I was more forgiving of, of myself because you think that there's this secret book and everybody knows more than you do. And and I remember the day after the election, my husband said, yeah, you caught that bumper, that school bus, didn't you? Yeah. And that's what, that's what it felt like. Um, and so fast forward to 2020, nobody could script what we were dealing with in the same way you couldn't script what you dealt with yeah. during your term, but you just take it one day at a time. But what was most helpful for our administration was we had an articulated vision this vision that we call One Atlanta. And so when there was chaos all around, if we could just stay focused on that vision, this resilient city, this 
the city where people are equipped for success. So we could always go back to that guiding um, vision and, and make decisions based on who we want it to be as a city. Uh, but going back to May, the protest, we, the country had never seen anything like that, at least not in my lifetime. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure that it happened, but... No, not to that extent. This is probably even more so, yeah. But what struck me um, was that when Dr. King was assassinated, we didn't yeah. loot and burn down Atlanta like a lot of other cities face that. And so when I saw that happening, uh, I believe it was May 29th, uh, you know, all you can do is the best that you can do in the moment. And for me, it was going before the cameras and just calling on, on people to literally go home because there was, there was nothing you could say that would make people feel better. There was nothing you could do that would erase what we saw with the murder of George Floyd. But what we saw in cities across the country was that in that moment, we weren't being our best selves. And so how did you feel and voice a, a policy around police at that time? What did you, what did you say to the police what did you say to the citizens, uh, the protesters? What about the police? Yeah, that was, uh, that was probably one of the most challenging times during my administration. We had a couple of other incidents, um, including the killing of a man who was running away from the police. This was just a couple of weeks later. We had some college students who were pulled out of their cars and they were tased. And I made the decision uh, to terminate the police officers. And I did it. Um, can you do that in your former government? I can. Okay. Um, now, they disagreed and, and they were ultimately reinstated and we're still going through the process. But there was a really big conversation around, uh, we don't have a formal agreement with our union police union in the city of Atlanta. So it made things a little more complicated. Um, and there was um, a, a lot of pushback, a lot of disappointment in me for making because that Because you decision. weren't supporting the police. They believed I was not. I mean, that's what they were saying. Yes, which I completely disagree with. Uh -huh. uh, given our police officers the largest pay increase in the history of our city, uh, just a year before, a 30% increase. And I believed, um, and, and I clearly was wrong, that it bought me more goodwill in that Got moment. It. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, because in that moment, people weren't thinking about a paycheck. Yeah. You know, it had become something else. But didn't you kind of poo-poo uh, defund the police that you didn't think that was a good strategy? I so thought it was you made horrible. people mad on the other side. Yeah, when you're married, it's hard to make anybody happy <laughs> someday. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you think that was a bad idea? Well, you know, someone said it on my team where you were in a meeting. They said, well, if we don't have police, who are they going to call? Ghostbusters? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and, and what I said repeatedly, it, what people want, people want positive interactions with police. They, police officers want to go home to their families and people who interact with police officers yeah. want to go home yeah. to their families. And I know when my house has been broken into, when my nephew was murdered, it, the police. Oh, I'm sorry, your nephew was murdered? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, 18 years old, college student, case of mistaken identity. By whom? Uh, some gang members. Oh, he uh, had a new car, and in the light, under the street light, his car appeared to be a different color. Oh, okay. And they thought he was a rival gang member. Just simply wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, no. But the police caught the people who killed they did. him. They did. Great. So, and, and I say, if, if I walk into a room of seniors, African-American seniors, they're going to tell me they want more I police. know this. Well, this was, this was easy for me. Yeah, on Thanksgiving, like, they're going to pack up some turkeys and some honey-baked hams, and they're going to take it to the police. No freezer. question. So I, I... They love the police. You know, my thought was... Whoever didn't want police maybe had never had to call the police for help, but, and I know it's, a, it's not as simple as that, but I thought the slogan was a bad slogan to begin with, and there was just a more thoughtful conversation we could have around funding wow. and, and resources. So here you go, you fire some police officers for not living up to what their promise is, and you're saying, hold on, we've got to have these folks. And that, uh, that was a tough line to walk. It was. It, it was. And, you know, again, you, do, you make the best decisions that you can make at the time. Mm -hmm. In that moment, I thought it was the best you, decision. Do you think you second-guessing yourself or anything? Um, I don't second-guess it. I, no, I don't. At, in that moment, it was the best decision because I truly believe had I not made that decision, um, I think our, our city would have burned down. Did it have political ramifications that, that held all over, that impacted whether you were going to run again? No, it, that part did not. Uh, we, we had a blue flu for a few days following, um, but it did create a narrative that I didn't support our police officers. Mm -hmm. But it was a narrative that was, you know, with a group of folks. You who think that was because you were black? Oh, I absolutely do. Yeah. I uh, mean, if, yeah, well, they, I got in issues with my police, but, but it never went that far. I don't think anybody thought that. Yeah. I went, yeah, that's interesting. And it was with a, a group of people who weren't going to ever vote for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we got that. Meanwhile, COVID happens, yeah. a pandemic, it's very unclear, okay, hopefully everybody in America understands that no one knows who's in charge of anything in this country. I mean, you know, you know, the president says this, uh, you know, someone says this in the cabinet, a governor says this, a mayor says this, a county judge says this, and what was your mindset there now? Suddenly you're in a fog, if you will, and you're trying to keep people safe and trying to keep, keep the city going. 
Well, this is, that was the point that the governor and I completely separated. Okay, so, so prior, uh, prior to COVID, although he was in a contested election and we were from different parties, we worked very well together, did a lot of work together because I repeatedly said there are elections and then you have to give people an opportunity to govern. Um, but when it came down to COVID, I could not stand by and watch people die because of stupid decisions that were being made by our governor. So what did you do? Uh, I, gosh, what didn't I do? Uh, <laughs> instituted a mask mandate, which he sued me for personally. Um, mask I, mandate for what? That anytime you're out of the house, you had to wear a mask or what? At that time, at the height of COVID, when you were in a public place, if you were in a building, not out, outdoors. And, and I wasn't just pulling this out of the air. Uh, I was consulting with Dr. Carlos Del Rio, one of the leading infectious disease experts in the country from Emory University. Mm -hmm. And ironically, when we shut the city down, uh, I'd meet with a group of CEOs once a quarter, about 30 CEOs and university presidents, Dr. Del Rio came to our March 2020 meeting and he said, the worst is about to hit and you have a matter of days before you need to shut everything down. So if you can imagine in this room, it's the CEO of Home Depot, Delta Airlines, UPS, you name all, Intercontinental, Coca-Cola, and we're all in a room just stunned. So the good thing was that I had the support of the business community because they heard what I heard at the same time. And at that time, the governor, uh, we, were, we were still on the same page, but I remember a conversation I had with him and it was a bizarre conversation. Uh, and I, a few days later, I realized where he had gotten his talking points from. I'll let you all guess where he got his talking points from. Uh, but I remember, and I remember hanging up the phone saying to my husband, this was the most bizarre conversation I've ever had. But you all have heard the talking points since then. Um, and so I, I started making decisions based on what I thought would be best for the city of Atlanta. And just in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, God bless the child who's got his own. I yeah. knew we couldn't depend on the White House, and it was clear that we were What's losing. happened to that lawsuit? Is it still going on? He dropped it. it he dropped it finally. Let you do what you felt you needed to do at that point. And there. by the way, I've dropped the mask mandate. Yeah. in Atlanta because I always said I would be driven by the data. So when our numbers started to drop and it was time to roll it back, I went, wait, what? Yeah. We got to roll it back. But I'd always said I would follow the science and the, the data. So the numbers dropped and the mask mandate. Was Which limited. enemies did you make over that? You know what? Actually, it wasn't that bad. I had yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people in businesses tell me they were grateful because it removed 
their their need to ask there people to put on a mask. And I don't know what you all's numbers were in Texas, but remember our numbers were like the worst in the country. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for walking us through that in a short amount of time. The other thing that I think about you is what has happened politically, okay, in the period of time. You know, I <clears throat> left uh, I spent most of my time under President Obama. Lucky you. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's a good man. He's a good man. And then President Trump came in, and then I was le I left. But during the election of 2020, I mean, things got crazy, especially in, in Georgia. Okay. Yeah. You're the nexus of Georgia, the epicenter. Okay. It's probably a better word. And we have uh, people trying to question legitimacy of the voting, and and then we have two Democratic senators that get uh, get elected. What's going on in politics in Georgia right now? What what what? Give us the state. We're looking from afar. We kind of know. I mean, we're kind of bizarre too. We've got a we're a bl blue city in a in a in a red state. But it's not quite as confusing as even George is. Well, if you watch the trends, we've been trending this way for a while. So Georgia used to be a blue state, and then we began trending red. And then, ironically, it was Governor Nathan Deal, Republican governor, very progressive Republican governor, signed a motor voter registration law. So it, when you go to get a driver's license in Georgia, you can register to vote. So we registered roughly 800,000 people just based on that. Just recently? Oh, well, over the over past few years. Over yes. the past few years, okay. So you had motor voter registration. We are becoming a, a browner state. And <coughs> I thought we would flip this year. I shared that with then-candidate Joe Biden. Nobody believed me. Mm -hmm. But... I thought that it was time right. for us to flip, wow. and and obviously we did. Why did it flip? Not okay. So there's some demographics, some things happening over time, more voters registering. But what was the mindset that that uh, happened there? Well, I think. Um, I mean, do people hate each other in Georgia? I mean, are they are they like you're on the wrong side and <clears throat> I'm on this side, and are people fighting, or are they just? Well, you know, there, there's this saying, there's Atlanta and then there's the rest of Georgia. Okay. So the metro area is a very diverse, very progressive area. Even with Trump and Hillary Clinton on the ballot, many Republicans in the metro area voted for Hillary Clinton. So um, You saw it. Yeah, I, I, I thought that if there was a reasonable candidate on the ballot, that they would swing voters, independent voters, um, would would go for someone other than Donald Trump. What did uh, President Biden offer Georgia in your mind? That he wasn't Trump or did he offer something else? Well, that was a, a good starting point. <laughs> but even beyond that, um, as I, I said re repeatedly over the course of the campaign, we didn't need someone who had to come in and figure out where to turn the lights on. This is, 
he was offering stability and experience that we needed as a country. And he has been through tough times before as a leader, so he wouldn't be shaken to his core uh, in the midst of all that we've been facing as a country. And I, I just think he, he's a great guy. Mm -hmm. So we needed some, we needed a, a collective hug, in my opinion. Uncle Joe gave it to us. He did. He did. Yeah, I agree with And you. then I think the momentum continued once we flipped. Then I think people went, hey, wait a minute. We're on to something here. Uh -huh. So I think that's what carried us through the Senate uh, election. So that momentum. And then Trump was like critical of the Republican candidates, wasn't he? Well, now that whole thing really confused me because <laughs> um, Governor Kemp has been, had been up until that point such a Trump acolyte. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise to see he and the Secretary of State not try and throw out the elections, but uh -huh. that was what I'd always heard about Governor Kemp, was that he was a very reasonable person to work with. So when I saw him push back, I said, oh, that's the guy I heard about. Got it. And then COVID, yeah. All right, so let's talk just a second about the state of politics and the state of America. We always think the world's going to come to an end at any moment. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it's always, but there does seem to be a deeper-seated divide in this country, um, uh, in my mind, uh, when you talk to people. In fact, a lot of people have just opted out. So we're divided. Then Virginia happens. Okay, Democrats lose that to Republicans. Um, the governor there kind of ran a pretty good campaign trying to play the whole Trump thing on and off again. What's that say about 2020, um, 2022 and now uh, 2024? So as we were chatting before we came in, what really concerns me, uh, looking at the turnout in our mayor's race, which was last week, oh, less than 20% of people turned out to vote. There was no excitement, no enthusiasm. That concerns me going into the midterms, especially in Georgia, uh, where people of color, where young people played such an important role in the election. Um, and, and also, I am getting the sense that people don't believe that enough has been delivered quickly enough. And I was doing a, a interview with one of the urban radio stations and I gave the example, I said, I had to explain the post office to my 11 year old. He was waiting on his debit card. So of course he's used to da 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 and boop, everything appears online. And I said, there's a whole process. I said, somebody's got to print the card and then they got to go, they got to put it in an envelope and they got to put a stamp on it and then they got to take it to the post. And I took him through this whole process and I said, and that's sort of what I see um, this, this discontent with our government. That so we want microwave, man. We want it now. We want it now, and we don't recognize it. it there's still a process. We want it. We want results instantly, and we don't want to compromise. Yeah. And that concerns me going into the midterms. How do we, how do we come together? Can we? 
I think this is when it's incumbent on our local leaders to really make a difference and have an impact in people's lives. Because at the end of the day, we're the ones who are on the ground and what we do on behalf of our communities has more of an impact than anything that Washington does for our communities on a day-to-day -day basis. Here, here. I want to take some questions, uh, and, and we got a microphone over there. But while she's getting it there, is there any, do you want to tell us any inside scoop on interviewing for vice president or, or, or <laughs> how that process went or anything? I'm not trying to pry, but if you want to, if you want well, to. Well, I, I told, I told then candidate Joe Biden, if you put me on the ticket, I promise we'll win Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't need me. <laughs> but one thing that they look at everything. They even asked me, uh, what a, whose address was that I used in high school? Because really? I went to high school out of district. Ah. I'm like, how'd you know that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, a couple of questions before, we, right here. Go ahead and stand up. We can probably hear you anyway, but go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming here. We're so happy to see you. Thank you. Even though Atlanta isn't as great as Dallas, we're still happy <laughs> to see you. Uh, as two mayors, for soon to be farmer mayors, uh, the thing du jour seems to be anti-Asian. There always seems to be anti-this, anti-that. What do you think mayors and uh, political figures can do to help this horrible prejudice that exists against Asians, against blacks, against whatever it is that the prejudice du jour? Go ahead. I think our, our, we, we have to, in word and deed, make sure that our cities are inclusive. And uh, it, you know, it can be as simple as saying it um, or as in-depth as what we've done in convening a group together to, to give us feedback on what we can do better as a city. Um, but it, it, is, it is very disturbing that across the country there's such division. And it is, uh, it's, as a parent, it's very disturbing. Um, and, and our inability to control the hate is also very unsettling. Uh, all of my children are on devices. So unless I'm looking over their shoulders, I don't always know what content they are receiving. Uh, but as a mayor, the best thing that we can do is to speak inclusivity um, and make sure that our cities reflect that we value inclusivity. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm just a big believer in, uh, in surrounding myself with people that I respect that don't look at me, that, that don't look like me. I, not only just the, the look, but that I really, really think they have something to offer. Because people can tell when, you know, you're doing it for show. Yeah. But they're out there all the time in, in, in searching things. Thoughts? Uh, right there, and then we'll come over here. This is on the lighter note. Uh, I used to be operations auditor for Pizza Inn back in the 80s. Oh, yeah? And I went to Atlanta where we had the headquarters, some headquarters over there, the, one of the side headquarters. 
and uh, there was 13 peach trees and that streets. I was trying to find all these peaches I hid over there. <laughs> Can you do anything about that? <laughs> They're probably 15 now. <laughs> What's the heritage of peach tree? I have no idea. Really? Like peanuts are the thing in Georgia. Not even, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's right even there. a peach tree corner, it's a city. Yeah, They're back here in the, the fourth uh, row. That's funny. Well, the, the first gentleman uh, anticipated my question, actually. What can cities do about racism? So I'll change my question around a little bit. What can cities and local government do to alleviate the, the wealth gap? That's been a huge challenge for us. Atlanta has one of the largest um, income inequality gaps in the country. And when you think of Atlanta and you, you, in many ways we are a tale of two cities. And um, we have been very intentional um, in the work that we've done in that area. So I talked about this vision of one Atlanta. So under our administration, uh, we, I negotiated the largest real estate transaction in the history of the city, one of the largest in the southeast. It's, gonna, it's called Centennial Yards. It's going to create 30 new city blocks in the city. But we did something very different in negotiating this. We layered on a lot of community benefits, $28 million for an affordable housing trust fund because regular people can't afford to live in Atlanta anymore. We created a workforce development program with the help of our CEOs. We put some money uh, toward that. We just announced a child savings account for kindergartners throughout the city and we are launching a pallet for mayors, uh, mayors for guaranteed income pallet. We were able to put some money toward that because there have been some studies with Mayor Tubbs out of Stockton, California about an additional $500 a month for people who are experiencing poverty, um, studying and tracking how that spending Im impacts their ability to, to cover basic needs. So we've been very intentional, but it, it seems as if we are not moving the needle fast enough. And we were talking about this we coming were. in. The, the biggest impact, I believe, in the words of Nelson Mandela, um, the, the best weapon in the world, uh, education. Okay. Um, that changes outcomes. And I truly believe until our public school system is better and the outcomes are better and we're headed in the right direction, um, until that happens, we're going to continue to experience this cycle of poverty that we are experiencing in our city. I'll, I'll just add go girlfriend on that. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I just think that, you, think about it. Babies born 18 years from now, they're in the workforce, okay? Or going to college or something. It's not that long. If we changed education and everybody got a great education in two decades, we make a huge dent on that issue along with programs like you just talked about we just don't we're a microwave society and we want to make it happen tomorrow 
and we don't really have the guts to get involved with education because it's a, it's a, it's a tricky proposition. Education is the most powerful weapon to be used to change the world. I hope I Frank. got that right. So Dallas and Atlanta is very similar. We grew up together. We got two big airports. Also similar is Dallas is a million four uh, population roughly in a seven half million dollar metroplex area. Atlanta is a half a million dollar population in a six million dollar metro area, maybe mm -hmm. bigger today. How do you put out a message? How do you manage the city, the, co the core of the city versus regionality that is the DFW airport, the Atlanta metro? And how do you compete to bring companies in Atlanta versus the area? And we're seeing that constantly. It's been going on in, in this area, especially lately. So it's just the metro core, the issues of Dallas, the issue of Dallas County, same way with Atlanta. And you have four counties, not only cities, you have four counties yeah. that has complete jurisdictions that's, you know, at least we're Dallas County anyway. Yeah, it's, it's a big challenge. If I walk out of my house and I walk one mile to the entrance of my subdivision, I cross the street, I'm in another city. So what's happening in Atlanta, uh, Fulton County and DeKalb County, where Atlanta lies, all of the unincorporated areas are becoming their own cities. Mm -hmm. So you're now layering on uh, additional bodies of government and all that entails. So We've been very intentional in the state about a regional approach to transportation and some of the other issues, which is fairly new. Um, but I don't think there has been a succinct approach uh, to a regional approach to coordination of cities. Because the reality is that we are all dealing with our, our own day-to-day -day problems and issues. Uh, I think the one area that we've probably done a pretty good job is coordinating public safety resources and information um, because, of course, criminals don't recognize geographical lines. But just in terms of the coordination of leadership with the various cities, uh, it's not happening. Thank you. Other thoughts? Yeah, Linda, over here. Linda. Well, thank you for being here, and I look forward to more conversation. But uh, I'm very curious. I have a two-part question. I've heard an awful lot about the playbook associated with the last statewide election for the senators and the work that Stacey Abrams did on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, what can we learn from her playbook? And second mm -hmm. question is, are you planning on working on her campaign? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to work however I can, whenever I can, to make sure uh, that Stacey's elected governor. Um, but with, with the last election cycle, there was the work that Stacey was doing, and there was a whole bunch of other work being done, too, that made the difference. I work with a group uh, called Battleground Georgia. We focus specifically on turning out 100,000 African-Americans who skipped the general election to get them to turn, off, uh, turn out in the runoff. And I think if we take that same type of coordinated effort, if everybody does what they do well, if voter registration is your thing, have at it. If knocking on doors is your thing, have at it. If turnout, data-driven turnout is your thing, have at it. I think if we all do what we do well, we can have the same results 
that we had last November and January. Let me get real personal here. What are you going to do for the rest of your life? Well, I mean, my 11-year-old I mean, son is very happy <laughs> that I can drive him everywhere. Uh, and I mean, I mean, I mean, let's. I mean, you're a talented a lady and a talented leader. Uh, what's what's your? I mean, are you just resting for a while and you're going <laughs> to reboot, or what, what's your thoughts on things? How do you look at the future in your life? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, I feel like I'm just running through the tape right now because, like you said, there are yeah. things that will happen up until the day yeah. of. So I don't want to take my, my eye off of the fact that I am still the mayor. But there are a lot of great opportunities that are being presented. And I'm just going to take some time and, and really think through them and sort them out. And, you know, I, I really am excited about being able to drive my kids places and... I agree with that, by the yeah. way. I, I enjoyed, M M Mickey and I uh, went on a road trip um, after, and just uh. drove to Michigan and went through, saw relatives and went to presidential libraries and museums. Who, who, it was like, I had Bermuda shorts on and tall socks. It was like, uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> fabulous. And to be able to put my phone down? Yeah. Yeah. And not be afraid of what yeah. I miss. Yeah, I agree. Because, I agree. you know, oh. you put your phone down and you come back <laughs> 30 minutes later and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Um, what do right. you miss most about being mayor? You know, uh, people, okay? Not people in general, okay? <laughs> <laughs> It, I don't know. I'm just not a big people in general person. Me but, neither. That's okay. why we like each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I like these people. You know what I mean? The individuals. You miss yeah. seeing their faces, and and you and you. You know, life's a struggle, and you're all working together to try to make it better. And when you you're not on the team anymore, you're rooting for the team, yeah. but you kind of miss you know, that uh, uh, part of it. I, I, I've, I've always been a kind of a team sports guy. And so being part of that, I think I miss. All right, last question, okay? This is a hard one. I ask it in interviews, all right? You've written a book on leadership. You, you have demonstrated great leadership, all right? And so you get to write a book on leadership. What's your title? What's your theme? What's the message you're trying to communicate to other people that, how do you lead? Oh. Uh, probably his eyes on the sparrow. The eyes on the sparrow? His eyes on the sparrow. Oh, oh tell um, us about that. You know, the, the song, his eyes on the sparrow, so I know he watches over me. Uh -huh. um, my faith. You're a spiritual person. I've heard you speaking. It, it, it drives so much. And it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a big sinner. So I, I don't ever want to <laughs> give the impression that I, I, I uh, claim to be a perfectionist. But I remember when I was over trying to sell Turner Field, when the Braves had left Turner Field, and I was thinking about running for mayor, um, watching a Joel Osteen 
sermon one Sunday. And he said, if you think too far out, uh, it's overwhelming. But just trust that God will give you what you need every day. And then when you wake up, he'll give you what you need that day and he'll give it to you the next day. And, um, you know, the, the song, His Eyes on the Sparrow, so I know he watches me. And I trust that God is watching over me. And even in the most challenging and, and unsettling of times, I know that he has me. And, he's and that does give me, what for you as a leader? Um, it keeps me calm and grounded. Right. And because leaders got to be calm and grounded, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Keeps you calm because there are a lot of things oh. to freak out about. Yeah. A lot of things to freak yeah. out. Like, I really look forward to, so on my phone, I get all the bad things that happen in the city. And it's a big city, so there are constantly bad things that are happening. Seven-year-old runs away, so it's linemen executed, uh, entrapment on the interstate. So I'm constantly seeing the bad things that are happening. I look forward to not knowing every bad thing that happens yeah, yeah. in Atlanta on a daily yeah. basis. Good. Well, you're calm. You're a good leader. I think you're well balanced and, and people like that and saw that in you. And there's a sense of wisdom about uh, you and the way you live your life. So thank you for being mayor in, of, of a great city in the United States and making the United States better. And thank you for coming to Dallas. Thank you. to say we don't get that many standing ovations so there you go that says it all I've been taking notes all evening from these two fabulous leaders thank you very much for joining us that was fascinating and wonderful and we knew it would be thank you again to everyone for coming tonight please be a member I mean that it means a lot to me personally for you to join us as a member I want to see you thank you again happy holidays